chapter number three. Can we all say, hooray? All right. It's only taken us 18 messages to get through chapter three. Praise the Lord. So, who knows how long. We might be in Joshua for another five years. Who knows? Probably not. Um, but today we're going to be, uh, my last week we're going to get a little bit of review because you guys know I love a good review. Um, last week we had our message which is called Passing Over. And in that message, one of the things that we focused on was really talking about the relevance or the significance of the Jordan River. Why it was so important in the Bible. We saw that obviously it is the eastern border uh, of, the, of the promised land in the Old Testament. And we see that uh, we're actually approaching that, that border today. We're going to see that this, this is something God's going God's to part the waters. And one of the things that last week I didn't really have time to go into it. I did give you some examples of what the relevance of the Jordan River and things that made it really significant. And there's a couple that I wanted to add in. I don't really have time for them either, but we're going to throw them in anyway. Um, Elijah and Elisha. There's a time when Elisha and Elisha, guess what? They're also going to part, part the waters of the Jordan. In 2 Kings 2.8, it says, And Elijah took up his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so, they went, so that the two went over on dry ground. So he and Elijah cross over the waters on dry ground. Then what happens? God miraculously takes Elijah, calls him up to heaven. And then Elisha is going to take up his mantle in 2 Kings 2, verses 13 through 14. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the Jordan, by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah and fell from, that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither and Elisha went over. What I want you to notice here is just interesting enough, you don't, you see that God doesn't use the term Passover whenever they cross over. It's not what it says. It says they, they cross over. And I'm not going to get into all that because you guys know I just love to talk about the Passover and that whole relevance of this, but I'm not going to. But then Naaman the leper. Naaman the leper. Later on, Elisha is going to speak to Naaman the leper. Naaman the leper is struggling. He's got leprosy. And he goes to Elisha. He says, what should I do? And he tells him, this is what? He says, 2 Kings 5.14. It says, when he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was, he was clean. So the Jordan River shows up over 140 different times in Scripture. And as we discussed last week, this is the site of the Lord's baptism. This was the very place where Jesus came and was baptized by John the Baptist. And we saw that this was the place where the Trinity came together. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they all arrive in one location manifesting themselves at the Jordan River. So we see the significance of the Jordan. And then what we did was we actually looked at the final instructions that Joshua received last week. We talked about, first of all, the first instructions was his selection of the Twelve. He was to make a selection of the 12. These were to be 12 different individuals that were representative of the 12 different tribes. And each one of these men was supposed to go into the Jordan River. They were supposed to gather a stone. Their job was to build a memorial of the great power of God parting the waters. And this would be left behind as a reminder to future generations of what God had done in this location. And we talked about how you and I, as we live our lives and we experience the miraculous power of God, we're supposed to be leaving memorials to God's power in our life. Now, how do we do that? We do that through our testimony. The life you live, right? The dash on your tombstone. What will people say of you when you leave this earth? Will it be about God's glory? Will it be about, will it be about us? And then also we leave a memorial in the investment we make in other people's lives our children's lives, people that we're allowed to discipleship or disciple and pour into. But then we actually looked at last week was the instructions, the instructions to the priests, the instructions of the priests. What happened there? Man, these instructions were that they were to bear the ark. 
They were to bear the ark. They were supposed to take the load of the ark and they were supposed to carry that ark and then they were supposed to walk into the waters. And we looked at the fact that this was an amazing... Because bearing the ark is a dangerous thing. As we talked before, if you touch it, you die. But then walking into the waters, they're trusting. They're being told to do this. They've never experienced this before and they're going to experience... Know that God's power is going to be coursing through the water when they step into it. So there's probably a little bit of trepidation there. So we're going to see them walking by faith. And we talked about how you and I, we're supposed to bear our ark, right? The Word of God. We're supposed to live a life that bears the Word of God. It's supposed to come out of us. It's supposed to be who we are, what we represent. What does our life speak of? It speaks of God's Word. And then we're also supposed to walk by faith. In our spiritual walk, our spiritual lives, we're supposed to walk by faith, trusting in God's power. And knowing that when we step in life, and we step into the path of God's miraculous power that God will do incredible things if we'll simply follow the instructions that were given. And then we next looked at the promise of God's power. And in verse 13, it ended up this way, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. And you see, if the priests will simply do what is asked of them, just do what's asked of them, then they will experience the impossible. And this great barrier that they stand looking at will become a passageway, a passageway for them. And we compare this principle to our own lives, recognizing the fact that, guess what, the same is true for us. As we see barriers in our life, what happens? Do we allow our fears and our doubts to stop us and we look and just see the barrier? Or will we faithfully trust the Lord and follow our instructions? Because if we do, then that very thing, that very barrier that's before us becomes a passageway. And God creates a way for us to experience His glory through miraculous power. But it takes faithfulness, right? It takes faithfulness on our part. And what we'll find here is the fact that these Israelites, they're going to be faithful. And what happens now is we're going to shift from instructions to actually motivations and actions. They're going to actually do something. We're going to see it take place in our message this morning, which is titled, A Fresh Start. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for today, God, for giving us this time where we can gather around your word. And Lord, you know, I've prayed over this message. I've prayed over this passage. I've prayed over what you've given me, Lord. And I do pray that you ask uh, that I'm asking you, Lord, that you help me to get out of the way. Uh, Lord, I do desire not to be heard. Lord, I, I want to be a receiver. I want to have ears to hear today, Lord, that you would speak to my heart. Uh, Lord, help us all be changed. Help us all to hear from you uh, what you intend for us to hear. God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for what you did already in the music. Lord, I do pray that you'll prepare our hearts and our ears to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys okay? You guys seem very stoic this morning. It's okay. I'll have fun. Y'all just sit there and look gloomy. I don't care. I'm going to have fun either way. Joshua 3, just verses 14 through 17. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zeraton. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. I'm not going to say a word. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm and on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. And just as a little bit of context, I thought it would be interesting for us to kind of help us visualize this, because we're kind of, we hear this and we go, okay, crossing a river. But I want you to consider the fact that when we see the term Israelite, it's estimated that that's about 2 million people. To give you a frame of reference, 
Charlotte has 800,000 people live in it. Mecklenburg County as a whole has 1.1 million people in all of Mecklenburg County. And it's estimated to be 2 million people. Now, where do we get that estimate from? Well, in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter number 1, verses 46 to 47, it's going to give us a number of those men that are over the age of 20, okay? It tells us here, it says, even all they that were numbered were 603,550. 603,550 men over the age of 20. Then it qualifies here in verse 47. But the Levites, after the tribe of their fathers, were not numbered among them. So there's an entire tribe that's not being counted in that number. They're also not counting women or children. So if you estimate that, knowing kind of what the average size of the families were, this is well in excess of 2 million people. But let's just say 2 million people. Now we're 40 years advanced, 40 years ahead. More children have come. More families have grown. And there was a census that was done, that was done again. And that census actually came up and figured out the fact that in Numbers 26, there are actually today, at, at that point in time, there are 1,820 less men. Consider that entire generations died off and God just killed 24,000 people a year before that. So we can estimate, let's just say for safe numbers, that there's still just 2 million people. Consider 2 million people in a group. You ever been to a concert before? 20,000 people? It's unbelievable. It's like a sea of people. Now multiply that by, what is it? 100? Thousand? A lot. I'm not good at math. I have no clue. <laughs> you could scream out any number and I would agree with you. It does not matter. A lot. So what we see here is the fact that here are two million people about to cross the Jordan River, right? We look at this and we go, oh my goodness. So here are two, two million people are united to do what God is asking, translating what's been told and instructioned into tangible, tangible actions. And as we discussed in the past, it's one thing to decide to do something. It's one thing to know what to do. And it's another thing to actually do it. This is something that we all struggle with. We know what to do. God will tell us what to do. We can read it in our morning devotions. But throughout the day, sometimes it becomes a struggle to actually, to actually do it. So what we find here is these folks are going to translate what they're told into physical action. They are going to motivate behind their Joshua. And they're going to do what he asks of them. And what we see here first, their first action is their commitment. We see the commitment of the people. Now, this commitment is going to reveal in, in two different ways as we break it down. So first of all, we see here that they left their security. Right? It says here in verse 14, And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents. Okay? Who's ever been camping before? In a tent, I mean. If you're in a trailer, you are not camping, I'm just telling you. You are, you are glamping, right? Staying in a cabin, that's not camping. So a tent, right? So we go to our tent, and what do we do with our tent? We get there, we bring some stuff from home. Our favorite pillow, a little blanket that makes us comfy, right? We bring all of our little things, and we set up our little mini house. There's a sense of security there. It's like, you know, I, I'm going to be comfortable here. I want to be at ease here. I'm going to have this tucked here and this tucked here and this tucked here. So right doing whatever we're doing, or man, I'm going to go back and whew, relax in my, in my tent. But even though it may feel a little bit secure, is it secure? <laughs> Your walls are a piece of fabric. Hello? You're not safe. Even though it may give us that, that feeling, it's an illusion, right? It's an illusion of safety. It's an illusion of security. And can I just tell you, the same thing is true for us, right? The same thing is true for us. Because no matter how good of an alarm system you have on your house, or how good a lock you may have, or, or how well your car may rate in the safety test, or how well you eat, and how much you exercise, your security, the things that we hold on to in our modern life, they are all an illusion. That's right. Because tragedy can come 
just like that. Out of the blue. Stun us right in our tracks. And what you see is the fact that these people, they understand that their security is not in their tents. It's not in their home. It is in their relationship with God. And this is absolutely key. This is where they will find their security. And we find here is the fact that that's, that's got to be the case for us. We've got to find our security in the Lord. Amen. Not in this world. Because this world is going to disappoint you. I can promise you that. Amen. In Psalm 121 verses 1 through 8 it says this. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. Right? Looking unto heaven. From whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth the Creator. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth even forevermore. God says, look, you can count on me. Your security needs to be in me. So as the psalmist is singing of his God's great glory and for God's strength, guess what he's singing about our God too? The very same Lord, the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews 13.8 tells us. And this is why our security is not found in the world. It is found in God. So just as these priests are walking by faith, guess what? The Israelites are walking by faith as well. Here they are, prepared to step across. Here they are, preparing to see God do the impossible, willing to leave everything behind. And we see the second thing, the aspect of their commitment, is their willingness to follow God. Verse 14 says this, And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan. They're going to pass over. They're going to do what God asked them to to do, right? And again, I'm not going to get into all the Passover stuff. We're going to leave that behind. You guys understand it. I'm sure you do as well as you're ever going to understand it. But the children, right? Here we are. The children are numbered. You got Bobby. You got Billy. You got Mark. Everybody's here. We got all of our belongings. Everything's gathered in hand. These Israelites have got everything prepared. They're awaiting the parting of, of the water. Keep in mind that they've got to be over a half a mile away from where the ark is. Okay? They're, not in, they're not able to see it. And what we're going to see here is the fact that, so they're not going to see the obedience of the priests doing what they're told. But they will see the results of their obedience. Okay? Let me say that one more time. Okay? So they're not going to see the obedience of the priests, but they're going to witness the results of their obedience. You and I did not witness the obedience of our Savior, but we have certainly witnessed the results, right? We have seen those results echoed through time in the lives of countless believers. We have seen literally the roaring torrent of sin and destruction in people's lives being cut off because they had an interaction with Christ. We've seen this. So we recognize the fact that, you know what, hey, they're not going to see it, but it doesn't matter. The result is what matters because Christ was obedient for us. Philippians 2.8 says this, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Right? And in both instances, the passing over of the Jordan River or the redemption of sin through our Passover lamb, either one, it requires a step of, of faith in order to follow God. Right? So, the people here, 
They are prepared to pass over. And next we look at the priests' obedience. Verse 14 continues. And the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And you see here, the priests, they have taken up the Ark. This means that they've actually got it in hand. They've picked it up. They are bearing the Ark at this point. They're making their way to the banks. Right? So they've got the weight. They're preparing. They're walking. You know they're walking very, I'm heel to toe, man. You know, nobody wants stepping and falling. Nobody, nothing crazy. They're trying to be very cautious. Can you imagine the, the anticipation? Because understand, they've heard what's getting ready to happen. Their imaginations are probably running wild. What do you think it's going to be like? I don't know. They're probably not talking to each other, but they're walking, and they're getting closer and closer. And here's the water roaring right in front of them, right? Here they are approaching it. And what's interesting about this is these are the Kohathites. We know this. These are the sons of Kohath. They're Levites that were set aside. These guys are the moving company for the ark. Instead of two men in a truck, it's four men in an ark, okay? And, and here they go. They're marching their way, and they're approaching this thing. And they don't have a glamorous job. Recognize the fact that these men were not a part of the, of the, of the day-to-days. Everything was all wrapped up. They never saw the ark. They've never seen the ark with their eyes. They always saw it when it was wrapped up. When everything's wrapped up, all they do is carry the load from one place to another. The other priests do all the setup. The other priests do all the other stuff inside. So these guys aren't the ones that have experienced the miraculous power of God. They've not been in the presence of the Lord. What happens here? So as they're walking and they're doing this, they're going to realize that, well, that we've not seen that stuff today. We're going to be a part of something pretty special. We're not just movers today. Today, God's supposed to do something incredible when all happens is our feet touch the water. So the people are filled with anticipation. Two million people holding all their stuff, waiting, looking at the water. They know upstream that the priests are up there. They don't know when it's going to happen. They're all just waiting, waiting, waiting. And here are the priests walking up, getting closer and closer and closer and closer. Can you imagine being those guys? you got the ark on your shoulder, and you look down at your sandal feet, and the water's roaring in front of you. And you know as soon as your foot touches that water, God said the water's going to stand up and heap. It's going to turn into a wall. Mm. Imagine lifting your foot. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Boom. And what happens? Mm. Right? Knowing what Joshua said, verse 15 says this, and as they bear the ark were come unto the Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. The Jordan, understand, it says the Jordan overfloweth with its banks all the time of the harvest. This is the spring rains, man. The Jordan River is at this time, it is swelling beyond itself. It is as big as it's going to get. And literally as soon as their feet come in contact, the impossible happens. As we see the reward of faith in verse 16. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zeraton, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. So the water flowing downstream. Here it's coming. All of a sudden, as soon as they touch the water, it starts to just sort of pile up on itself. Boom, boom. And it starts to pile up and pile up and pile up, and literally it just becomes this wall of water. And what's miraculous is the fact that God literally makes the land dry. And you see a mention there of these two cities. And people are like, why does God mention those cities? This is my belief. I can't prove it to you necessarily. But Adam is about 20 to 25 miles upstream. Adam is a city that's actually on the Jordan River. So they can see what's going on on the water. 
And he says it's far from there. So the people in that city, they're not going to know what's going on. They don't see what's happening with the river. This is far, far away from them where this water's all piling up. So there's no one's going to be witness of this except for the children of God. This is for them specifically, not for the people of Adam. And Zeraton is just a, a marker for us. That's a city that's west of there. But what we find here is this miraculous thing is, is for God. It's for, it's for the people from God. And what we find is where the water is stopped from that place forward, it's going to become a dry riverbed. Okay? We see here it says, And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, heading towards the, the Dead Sea, even the Salt Sea failed and were cut off. So now from where that water wall is, we're talking a dry riverbed all the way down. Now, just as we consider this idea of this passageway, understand, we know that the people... Now, some people will say, you know what, they passed over where the, where the priests were. I've heard that written in some of the commentaries. It does not make sense because that does not line up with what... They've got to be 3,000 feet away. So they're not passing over where the priests are. And other people say they go over across like maybe in a big line. Imagine 2 million people trying to line up and cross. That doesn't make much sense. But imagine if you had 12 miles of riverbed. Couldn't they all just kind of stand side by side? And in about a minute, you're across. That's, I don't know that that's necessarily the way it was done, but I'm imagining that's the way they crossed over. So standing looking at the overflowing water of the mighty Jordan River, right here they're looking at it. They don't know when this is going to happen. They see the results of obedience, and suddenly, boom, right? And you saw that picture, that dry riverbed. Suddenly that's what is before them, this dry river. And we see the fact that here, God's saying, look, and the people passed over against Jericho. What it means is the fact is they're walking across. They can see the mountain where Jericho is sitting at the base. So as these people are all coming across, they're looking at what their destination is, which is going to be Jericho, which is, which is dead ahead. As they set foot, this is cool, think about this. You ever heard of the West Bank? You ever hear that in the news? The West Bank? Well, guess what? They're stepping foot on the West Bank. So when they get through that riverbed and they step onto the land of the West Bank, for the very first time, they are in the promised land. All this time, now, they step across, the riverbed's behind them, and they're looking back and forth. You know where we are? This is, this is it. This is what God promised. Amen. 20 generations earlier. In Genesis chapter number 12, verses 1 through 3, God said this, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, afar, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curse thee. And I want you to know that promise is still true today. Amen. Why do we stand with Israel? Because guess what? We are a friend to Israel because we stand with God. Right. Right. Amen. Look how this ends. That whole, all that first part's all to the Jews. Listen to this part. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. It just switched from a Jewish message to a message to this planet. All families of the earth will be blessed. And can I just tell you? Through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, a blessing came to this earth. No one is excluded. It's for every family, for every person. Recognize the fact that our Savior came from the line of Abraham. Matthew 1.1 1, 1 says this, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Through that line, through, through, through Abraham, that's where the, the Messiah is one day going to come and bring salvation to the world. And as here, just like these Israelites... 
as they're exercising faith and are standing on the ground of the promised land, the thing they've been looking for all their lives. You and I have an opportunity to experience that. To be in our promised land and the abundant Christian life with Christ. God, God was, wants fellowship with us. He wants us to walk with Him, to, 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 to fellowship with Him, to, to love Him. Remember in John 10.10, 10, what does it talk about? Jesus talks about, first of all, the, 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 the devil. He says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and may, they might have it more abundantly. And we hear that and it goes by and we go, yeah, yeah, have it more abundantly. But did you notice that the word might shows up twice just in that one verse? That I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Time and time and time and time and time again, when God gives a spiritual promise, guess what word is in that sentence? Might. Might. I found over 220 different times in the New Testament alone towards that reference. God saying, look, it might happen. You know what that tells us? Is that God's promises are conditional. We already know that. If you'll do your part, I will do my part. It's conditional. He says, you might have it. You might have it, but I'm not guaranteeing it. I'll guarantee you the results if you'll be obedient. But the variable's not me. The variable is you. Right? It is compromise. Or or, or, or willingness not not to compromise. And because of the commitment of the people, along with the obedience of the priests, they're going to experience the reward of faith. As they stand in awe of God's incredible power and His never-ending faithfulness. And can I just encourage you, Wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, the fact that, hey, I don't care, you know what, how discouraged, disillusioned, frustrated, or lost you may feel. Can I just tell you this, that the the heart of God has not changed. God loves humanity. God wants to restore us and bring us from broken to whole. He knows where you are in your wilderness. And He's calling you. He's calling you to the promised land. But see, we first have to commit. Commit to Him, not just in word, and not just in deed, but in heart. Yeah. It's our heart that God wants. See, in Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13, it says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. All your heart. Is that the way we seek the Lord? I don't know. I don't know what God's doing in your heart when you're at home. I don't know what He's doing to your heart when you're seeking Him, when you're praying at home, when you're broken hearted, when you're dealing with stress or, or overwhelmed by a situation. Guys, to say, look, give me your heart. Give me your heart. You want to see me do great things? Give me your heart. So not only making a commitment, but it's a matter of being committed with our hearts and understanding the fact that God said it wasn't only commitment, it was obedience. And this is a very hard part for most of us. Because guess who we are? We're pictured in the Israelites. What did, Bob, what did God call them? Stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. Who's ever ridden a horse before? You ever have a stiff neck horse? You're trying to go this way, he's like, and it's a battle, man. He's like, no, I'm going this way. He's going to get his way. And we're trying to get ours. Guess what? Sometimes God grabs, grabs us by the bridle and he's trying to pull them. We're like, no, God, I want to go this way. Mm-hmm. God's ah, stiff-necked. Because you know what happens? We're stubborn, we're prideful, we're arrogant, and we're blind. Mm-hmm. It's just who we are. 
Hate to break it to you. If you didn't know that about yourself, it's true of all of us. The Bible talks about the Laodicean church age, right? God breaks down these different time periods of the church. And the last one is the Laodicean church age. And what it does, it's talking about us, our issues of our hearts. And listen to this in Revelations 3, verse 17 through 20. Listen to this description. Because thou sayest, this is the way we think. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Okay, we're going to look. I'm rich, man. I've got all I could possibly need. Have you seen my life? Have you seen my car? Have you seen my clothes? Do you see the food that I eat, the restaurants that I go to? Man, I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I don't need God. Who needs the Lord? Man, I've got all I need in this world. I don't need a crutch like that. I'm in need of nothing. I certainly don't need God. And he says this, And knowest not that thou art wretched. You're filled with sin. You're miserable. Your happiness is based upon what happens to you. It's not true. It's not real. You're poor. Because when it comes to the thing of God, you are destitute. You're blind. You cannot even see because of your pride. And you're naked. The righteousness. Understand, when we stand before the Lord one day at the judgment seat of Christ, when we stand there, there's going to be a garment that we're going to wear. And that garment is based upon righteousness. And it is a white garment, a picture of righteousness. Our works are going to show up as gold and silver and precious stones. The works of our life, the purity of our life. We're going to see him. Look what he says next. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. What he's talking about, a life that is pure. I'm, he's, I'm looking, he's saying, buy of me. He says, look, from living a life, you take my righteousness and you live for Christ that thou mayest be rich. You'll be rich because guess what? Your, 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 your sustenance of this world, which is hollow, it's not going to be where your riches are. Your riches are in heaven. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, God says. Amen. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. Because when you stand before the Lord, do you want to be standing there naked because of the disgusting life that we chose to live? But if we live righteously, man, a white garment. Amen. He says, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eyes, Sabbath, that thou mayest see. He says that you allow the Spirit of God to deal with you, to open your eyes so that you see where you are. You realize your lost condition. You see the sin of your life and you go, you know what? I'm not all that I thought I was. I'm not super Christian. I've been comparing myself to the wrong things, but when I look at the standard of God, man, i got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. That's what the ISEB does. It allows us to see. Because you know what pride does? It blinds you. We think we're okay. We tell us we're okay. And we believe our own lies. But if we stood before the Lord and He said, let's take an assessment of your life and let's see how perfect you think you are. Mm. Ouch. That would be a tough time. Well, guess what? That time's coming. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Why am I telling you this? Why am I drawing you? Why am I attacking and going and approaching your, your heart and trying to break through? Because I love you. And how do you get these things? How do you get that tried, that gold tried in fire, that purity in your life? How do you get righteousness? How do you have eyes that can see and understand? Be zealous, therefore. Be committed to me. Be in love with me. Be in love with what I love. And listen to this last one. And repent. Turn from the life you've lived. Don't try to find your sustenance and your satisfaction in this world. Turn from that and turn to me. And guess what? You will find those things. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. God says, hey, I'm trying to speak to you. I'm knocking on your door. Listen, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Amen. Hello. Into him and will sup with him and he with me. 
We will be in the abundant life, and you and I will have fellowship. You will sup with me, and he with me. Right? That's what it's talking about. And here we are in the Laodicean church age, and we're going, you know what, man, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And God says, whenever I show you, I'm going to tell you, no, thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Open your eyes. That's what he's telling us. And if we'll turn from our wicked ways and we'll give him our hearts, guess what? He'll accept us. <laughs> be accepted of God and be like these Israelites. Who Guess what? We get to start anew. Listen to this. In verse number four, they leave their past behind. Verse 17 says this, And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed over, passed, listen, passed clean over Jordan. <clears throat> Notice that twice God makes sure to point out that the land is dry ground. It is dry ground. It's not even damp, even though it's just been underwater. It is dry ground. And it's the same detail that God gives when He parts the Red Sea. It's the very same detail. Exodus 14.22 says this, And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand and on their left. What was that a picture of? It was a picture of deliverance, a picture of life, of death unto life. Right? What are we seeing here in the exact same thing? We're trying to go from death unto life. We're trying to leave the world behind and move on to the abundant life with Christ. The very same things being pictured here. And as aspect of the dry ground, what we see here is the fact that um, the children of Israel were not treading through mud, struggling to pass over. No. God made a way, and He also removed every obstacle in the way. He gave them dry ground, an easy passageway. And see, that's how God works. That's just the way He works. That's God. So recognize the fact if it's salvation, He did all the work. Right. There's nothing left. All we have to do is accept the gift of salvation. If it's restoration, guess what? God does all the work. And what happens when we come to God with all of our problems, all the barriers and obstacles that have stopped us and we're dead in our tracks, be it for salvation or for restoration, He tells us, you know what? Hey, if you'll commit to me and you'll be obedient to follow my commands, guess what? I'll make a way. I'll make a way. And we finally turn from trying to fulfill our fleshly desires and come to Him. Maybe riddled in sin. Maybe hopeless. Right. Maybe we're broken. He doesn't berate us. He doesn't point His finger at it and say, I told you so. Right. Who's ever had somebody do that to you? Man, that's humanity for you. Not God. No. God stands with arms wide open. Mm -hmm. Willing to receive us as a child. Mm -hmm. And see what's so beautiful is Jesus gives us this, this picture. Right? In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God gives pictures. And one of the things He does is in a parable, He gives us a picture in a parable one time that's so beautiful. We see about the prodigal son. We've all heard the story about the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. A young man that receives his riches from his father. He gets his inheritance. And he's like, man, you know what? I'm not doing my dad's deal. I'm not working on the farm or whatever it was they were doing. I'm not doing this. You know, I'm going to go off and I'm going to live a high life. I'm going to go off and enjoy myself. I'm going to find my pleasures out there in the world, not back here at my father's house. And he goes out and, man, he lives a life of debauchery and a life of sin. And the world eats him up, and it spits him out. And when he finds himself in a swine, in a, in a pig pen, 
-hmm. in the mud, in the mire, in the muck. And he looks at the food that these pigs are eating, the disgusting slop, and he's starving to death. He goes, you know what? Maybe I'll just eat that. He's run out of options. The world has given him all it could, mm -hmm. and it's left him hollow and broken. And when he comes to the recognition of the fact that he sees the error of his ways, he has a change of heart. In Luke 15, verse 18 through 24, he says, I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. What's he doing here? He's in the mud rehearsing what he's going to say. This is what I'm going to say about that. All right, I've come to the point. This, okay, here we go. I got it. All right, this is what I'm going to say to him. Here we go. Verse 20, and he arose, gets out of the mud, and came to his father. Right? This is, listen to this. Re recognize the picture. Coming humbly and broken before his father. Mm -hmm. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and, and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and, and kissed him. Yes. You see, his, his father wasn't just diligently waiting which he was, mm -hmm. in anticipation of his son's return. But we can see that he was watching. He says, because when he was a great way off, his father saw him. Amen. So you imagine mm. a father standing in the road, watching the horizon, looking in the distance, day after day after day after day with anticipation and hope, hating what his son is doing, brokenhearted over his choices, yet loving him because it's his son. That is a picture of the heart of God. Amen. It's what God's showing us. Jesus gives this parable so we can understand the heart of the Lord. Verse 21 says this, and the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son, broken and humbled. Listen to this. He doesn't even get to finish because we know what he has a little bit more he wanted to say. God cuts him and his dad cuts him off. But the father said to his servant, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Immediately the son comes with nothing. And God says, his dad says, you know what? I'm going to take care of all your needs. Every need, clothing, food, everything you need, all the things you lost, all the things you threw away because of your sin. I'll give it all back to you. Amen. Not because you deserve it, son. <laughs> but because I'm your father. Amen. And I love you. The heart of God. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. Praise the Lord. And they began to be merry. Great celebration in the Father's house. If it's for salvation, praise the Lord. If you're broken, you're in sin, and God's restoring that soul, praise God. Amen. Because recognize this salvation here, this, this parable, it's pointing to this incredible truth of restoration. In Luke 15, verse 10. Jesus said this, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Ooh, yes, hallelujah. Notice that? It says in the presence of the angels. Well, guess who's in the presence of the angels? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. 
those that are in heaven. A celebration. God is celebrating the return. And it's this beautiful illustration of a truth for us. In John, 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, just like that parable says, when that man, that young man comes broken, he is faithful, our Father, just, and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. A Amen. faithful, loving Father. And did you catch the wording at the end of verse 17? It says here, Until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. There'll be no residue stuck on them from the barrier that separated them between the world, the wilderness, and the promised land. The dry ground allowed them to make a clean start. They don't bring any of the garbage of the past. Guys, the devil wants to keep you in your past. The devil wants to beat you up with what you where you have failed. Can I just tell you that God has no intention to do that? He wants to bring you out. When He makes a way, He makes a way that is clean and dry and prepared for you to come through and be fulfilled. New, it said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness and all the crap that we want to bring with us and all the devil wants to throw at us. We can say, you know what? Uh uh. That's not my story anymore. The barrier. That I've been looking at all this time. God just moved it out of the way. Mm, praise the Lord. <clears throat> and when I walk over there and I get to that West Bank, the promised land, I'm leaving that behind. Amen. Ooh. And when we humbly come to God and commit ourselves to be obediently to obediently live in his service, bowing our will to his, we get to pass clean over into a new life. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man, any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Amen. As the Israelites stand on the West Bank, their view is no longer the wilderness. Their view is no longer the Jordan. Their view is the promised land. They're focused on what God has given them. Mm. Recognize the fact that no matter how deep you may be in sin or how broken your life may be or how off track you may be, that your father is waiting mm. with arms wide open, looking at the horizon, waiting for you. Yes. Praise the Lord. Ready, willing, with a broken heart Amen. to restore us and give us a fresh start. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for today, for the truth that is in your word, for the heart that you have for humanity. My, you are so much better to us than we deserve. We are ungrateful, arrogant, prideful. Lord, I pray that you help us Help me, if no one else. Help me, Lord, to be humble before you every day, broken before my King, realizing the fact that you give me love that I do not deserve. Help us, Lord, to have hearts willing to receive truth, lives that are willing to be changed and transformed. Lord, that we'll not only commit, but Lord, we will follow through. We will be obedient. 
God will experience the reward of faith and God to know the truth that we can leave our past behind us and live a fresh, new life in Christ. Thank you for the work you've done in us. Lord, there are testimonies today in this room of people that you have brought through the roughest barriers we can possibly imagine, and they're standing in the promised land. God, I do pray for my brothers and sisters that are struggling. Maybe they're in the wilderness. Maybe they're looking at the barrier before them. Lord, I pray that you help them to submit, to surrender their will to yours, that you might do the miraculous. Thank you for the truth of who you are, what you've done, and for your word. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today,